Welcome to the Flannery Podcast. This is episode 46. The issue this time, of course, the insurrection. Stay tuned. Three people spoke at a rally that was already churned up, ready to harm the value of America. These three people incited this crowd, and this wasn't a decision that was made up at that time. It was obviously in the making. Now it is up to Congress to confront this egregious assault on our democracy. And after this, we're gonna walk down, and I'll be there with you. We're gonna walk down, we're gonna walk down anyone you want, but I think right here, we're gonna walk down to the Capitol and we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women. And we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them. Because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. to get your people to fight and if they don't fight we have to primary the hell out of the ones that don't fight we're gonna have to fight much harder i'd fight they'd fight i'd fight they'd fight boop, boop. we fight we fight like hell and if you don't fight like hell you're not gonna have a country anymore should be a message to all the republicans who have not been willing to actually fight. The people who did nothing to stop this deal. This gathering should send a message to them. This isn't their Republican Party anymore. This is Donald Trump's Republican Party. So to those Republicans, many of which may be voting on things in the coming hours. You have an opportunity today. You can be a hero or you can be a zero. And the choice is yours, but we are all watching. Because if you just roll over, if you don't fight in the face of glaring irregularities, statistical impossibilities. Stake, I'm willing to stake my reputation. The president is willing to stake his reputation. 
Division on the fact that we're going to find criminality there. Stay tuned. When I was a young man, uh, I, I got interested in politics because of Jack Kennedy. I heard him speak in my freshman year of high school, and I went into a reverie thinking that that's what politics was all about, making a difference, as I'd heard him say to these university students. And I sat in Latin, Latin class, you know, just going over what he'd said. And I had been interested in science, but then the duel of what I might do with my life became, between science and politics became apparent. And I read how Thomas Jefferson told a cousin that if you wanted to uh, go into politics, you really should study law. And as a young Irishman, I thought, you know, in the rules of the game, that makes a big difference. But as I got older, uh, before I got to law school, I had some early delusion, if you will. There was an outstanding congressman on the west side of Manhattan. And during the Vietnam War, I went down to talk to him in Washington, D.C. And I was welcome at his office. And he had made a parliamentary maneuver that would have affected uh, Vietnam, that is, would have forced there to be disclosures, to delay it, to, to do things that would have improved the situation. Because th by this time, we knew the government was lying. And John Kerry had come back and threw away his medals of honor and explained uh, what he'd learned and seen, testified before Congress. But the sad thing was when I talked to the congressman, I saw him after he lost his vote on the floor. And that happens, uh, of course. But he also had cancer at the time. And the combination was um, unsettling. I felt sorry for him, and I wondered how this man could have strength. But as much I wondered why the Congress couldn't do what was necessary. Why couldn't they hear him and do what was necessary? And I wandered around Capitol Hill thinking about it at that time. Why? was it that the obvious wasn't done, wasn't acted upon? And I wasn't naive by the, that age of the, of the factors that make a difference in law and politics. So uh, then I come to the Hill myself, and I was serving on the Hill on the House side when 9-11 happened. And I saw a similar thing, that is to say, that after the attacks, the congressmen and women ran to the hills, and only when they heard an all clear did they all stand in front of the, the Congress and sing a little patriotic ditty, and then he disappeared again, the foxes ran to ground. At a time when they should have been given strength to the nation, they were terrified themselves and didn't know what to do. I sat with uh, men and women, members of Congress. I was then special counsel and chief of staff for a congresswoman from Silicon Valley, Zoe Lofgren. And I talked to older members, and they were at a loss what to do. And I thought in a continuous line from when I was younger, and it was about Vietnam to 9-11, the members of Congress couldn't figure out what to do. These people had spent their life in politics, and they didn't know exactly how to make this work. They ran for cover. Wrong. Now, we just had this uh, attack on the Hill. And... Uh, I'm sure it was scary to be up there. You only had so many things you could do and you had to do those and resolve that uh, you were gonna survive this thing or resist as best you can and get through it and then try to deal with it, presuming when you're picking up the pieces, there was something to do. But what did the members of Congress do when it was all over? 
Many of them got on planes and flew home. They should have stayed there. They should have continued to work this problem. It wasn't over. In fact, we were put on notice that this was perhaps just the first of one or more other occasions when we were going to be attacked. They didn't have complete information to run away to know to do so. And when they got on the planes, they were on the planes with the same people who had rioted and who ridiculed them and made fun of them and called them names and shouted out at them. I've been talking to staff the last few days on the Hill, and this is what they tell me. It makes sense. And it's terrible. So we had those three stooges that I played at the beginning of this who told these people, unmoored, uh, fed with disinformation, believing perhaps that Trump really did win and that he knew it somehow, even though 60 courts said no, the Supreme Court said no, states had counted the ballots, you name it, everything had been done that could possibly be done. And these people still believed the nonsense they were told. Indeed, on social media networks, they talked about how they were going to come to Washington, D.C. and you know, set this place straight, how they were going to do violence, how they were going to take hostages of uh, members of, of Congress. They had it all worked out. So, <clears throat> you know, I started with uh, Kennedy. Uh, he inspired me to be interested in politics. And when he gave his first inaugural, he spoke out against tyrants. And now we have one in the White House, Trump. Kennedy asked what we could do for our country, and Trump was only interested in what he could do to our country. If he had lost in 2016, we probably would have had a variation of what he did in 2022, now 2021. And uh, he would have had less power, but we gave him the power by electing him, knowing full well that he should never be in the White House. We knew this was coming. We didn't know it would take exactly this form. But, you know, Michael Moore did say he believed there'd never be another election if Trump won the first election. And he missed that. But he was right about the intent of the man. And that's why he celebrated when he heard that uh, the leader of China would be the leader forever, for life. Sort of like Duvalier. Uh, he was... Uh, President Avi, president for life. That's what Trump really wanted, absolute power. So in a nation that is democratic, he wanted to have that monarchical arc so that by fiat, um, not bordered in or cabined in by law or constitution, he could do whatever he wanted. And he's made some inroads. And part of those inroads may be the fact that there wasn't any defense when the assaults came when the assaults came on the Congress. We had the Capitol Police, and, and they were damaged badly, some of them out in the front lines, facing people with weapons, people who came there with ties to hold members of Congress hostage. They had explosive devices, Molotov cocktails. They had high-powered weapons. They had handguns. They broke into the Capitol. They went to the speaker's room and they stood outside the house chambers and tried to assault the doors to get in and there one of their number was killed by an officer who was defending the house against this incursion you got to ask yourself 
Where were the Capitol Police? Where was the FBI down the street who has a large section that deals with terrorism, including domestic terrorism? Where were the DC police? There was no one there. So this is, this is just wrong. And they, there, are, there was intelligence online that we now are learning that uh, threatened to kill lawmakers. We, uh, we saw, and they talked about uh, watch parties and Trump, <laughs> we have video courtesy of his son, little Don, of them at a watch party before they spoke. And then it continued after they spoke. Now, Vice President Pence, he decided he was going to follow the law when he counted the ballots. But L.L. Wood, a pro-Trump attorney, falsely accused Pence of being a child molester. And he went on to say, get the firing squad ready. Pence goes first. So you see the environment. We have, unlike 9-11, we have this domestic force led by our own precedent. So when we, we had 9-11, we had foreign terrorism. Now we have domestic terrorism aimed right at the heart of one of our departments, the legislative. They did look for Pence at the Capitol. So they had bombs, IEDs, ties, Molotov cocktails. It takes it out of the class of a normal demonstration. And I'm strong favor of robust speech, but this wasn't robust speech. This was criminal conduct. And when they got there, they didn't just walk the halls. They seized intelligence from the speaker's office or computer. So yeah, yeah, they took... Uh, you know, they, they took other things, but they took stuff that had information, intelligence for what, when they might come back again, what they might use. Uh, Congressman Clyburn, whom you know is a strong supporter of Biden, is also uh, in a leadership position in the House. And he talked about how he has a very obvious office with a sign in Statuary Hall. But he has another office where he does all his work. And I've been in these offices, and if you don't know where they are, you can't find them. They don't have a name on them or anything. The first one I ever went to was Senator Metzenbaum had one. <laughs> he had little candies in a crystal dish. And it wasn't a large room, but it was where he could have meetings and get things done rather than go back to his, uh, his Senate office. So uh, Clyburn had an office down there, still does. They went to his office. They knew where it was. And they took his laptop, rather, they took his iPad. So they knew where it was. There was talk that they went to the Cannon House office building. Why would they go there? Well, there are members' offices. But you can access the main capital from the tunnels that run from Cannon to the capital. Now, we haven't had any, I haven't heard any intelligence that anybody came that way. But it's the only reason I can imagine that they went to the Cannon House office building to get access to those tunnels. And the tunnels run all over. You can run from one side of the Capitol to the other. So they were collecting intelligence to use it uh, for what press releases and to come back again. And I think to come back again is not just a fear because they've said it repeatedly to people. Now, like I said, what did Congress do? They fled town. All this talk about uh, impeachment, 
about the 25th Amendment, about resignation, nothing. Now, it's interesting because of the staffers I spoke to. Uh, somebody wrote, while this was going on, an article of impeachment relating to the insurrection that they'd suffered on the Hill, naming Trump and seeking to have him prosecuted. Days have passed, 24, 48, 72 hours. It's Sunday now. It was Wednesday when this started. There's been talk about a member of Congress now has an impeachment proposal and has quite a number of uh, members as co-sponsors ready to drop it on Monday. And I thought that was a good sign. Slow, but still there's something. But then I heard, well, there may not be one until Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday. And because the members left town, they're not there to act. Same is true in the Senate. You got to ask yourself, what were these guys thinking? Getting out of Dodge rather than doing their public business? It appears so. So that's what they're doing. They're dragging their, their heels, what? Giving us the image that they're doing something when they don't, aren't doing anything? They're, they, they also act like these things should happen in sequence. For example, well, first we gotta see if he'll resign. Then we gotta see if uh, Pence will uh, get the 25th Amendment to uh, remove him and put himself in office. And uh, then, and only then, will we file impeachment. Well, I think that even if Trump resigned, we should still do it. And that's because one of the remedies of an impeachment is not only to remove a person from office, it is to bar him or her in the future from ever holding public office again. And this guy is a candidate for that sanction. That's exactly what we have to do. Now, when the, just say that on Monday we voted for the impeachment. When do you think that that should be forwarded over to the Senate? I say immediately. But now there's talk of waiting months before they forward the article of impeachment or articles, right? Uh, there's only one mention for inciting to riot uh, and, and to insurrection. Uh, they they want to wait two months. Now the, the, and, and so they're going to hold it from the Senate for two months and then send it to the Senate, which is controlled by Democrats or will be when that happens. And what is wrong with Congress? They would even think of that. They say, well, you know, we got other things to do. What is more important than defending the integrity of our government, making it work for the people? It's important that we have a government that works. That is the predicate to how you deal with the pandemic. That is the predicate to how you bring the economy back. And these things don't have to be done in sequence. We can do both at the same time. We can handle the virus. We can recover the economy. And we can press forward on an impeachment. And if it happens after Trump leaves office for whatever clumsy reason, so be it. We can still pursue the impeachment so that he may never hold office again. And some say, well, if it's not going to pass, why do we do it? Well, the impeachment that we did do was a factor in Trump losing. In other words, you do what's right, and then you see what happens. And there are Republicans who have spoken out against Trump. Will they sign on for impeachment? I don't know. But they should. And if they do, it's an even stronger statement 
historically and otherwise, to Americans, to nations abroad, of course to Trump and his uh, family, his crime family. We, the lawless threat that we have in America is a very real thing, and we have to handle it. Now, you know, talking about when we would deal with these things, we deal with the, the impeachment after the inauguration. Well, I think that's wrong. It should be forwarded before the inauguration. But here's another thing about the inauguration. Uh, should we be holding the inauguration in the same place where security was already busted wide open at a time when we have a pandemic and people shouldn't be that close to each other? I had one staffer on the Hill say to me, you know, he should be sworn in a nice small ceremony and then in June have a big deal operation. Well, there are, there's, a, there's a middle ground. I mean, you could have a reduced audience at the Supreme Court or inside Statuary Hall or inside Congress itself. And you could uh, have everybody distance and the nation would see it on TV. And you could make all the points that you need to make in terms of leadership. And I've been to these inaugurations in January. And let me tell you, I don't know what it is, but it is always the coldest day of the year, <laughs> or seems, still seems that way. Uh, what else do we have to do? Well, investigators must proceed. Uh, why, why ever they weren't present and accounted for, that has to change, obviously, and it appears that there have been a lot of arrests. The question is, in these arrests, are they seeking intelligence as to what happened and who happened and how it happened, to look at the broader conspiracies, to look at the reference points between members of Congress, people in the West Wing, including the president, uh, what kind of information they had when they were leaving jurisdictions where they lived to come to Washington, what were the messages on the various social media that occupies the far right and QAnon and those people. All of this is absolutely necessary. Not just, not just even for this immediate emergency, but so going forward, we don't have to uh, fail again, as we did fail so terribly to protect the House and the Senate when they were counting the electoral returns to see who our president was. Now, we knew it publicly, but this formal act is a constitutional legal act that must be attended to. And they tried to delay it, and it goes to Congress's uh, strength that they did uh, go forward even after the siege on the Hill. They get, they get high marks for that. We're not going to put up with this. But leaving town and dragging their feet and not doing anything, not so good. Language is not enough. We need action. This country needs leadership that is strong and forward and reassuring and says that no person is above the law by the fact that we prosecute them, we investigate them, we act upon their misconduct so it won't happen again. We can't do less. We can do more than we have. If I had to zero in on what we should do, it is act now with regard to the impeachment, refer it to the Senate immediately, take precautions so the inauguration is safe for all people who are attending. If you're going to go forward just as is so everybody knows exactly how you're doing it and what your security arrangements are, then some people should stand back in the line of succession. So that if anything happens that day, that the government can proceed. 
that those who would think such a heinous thing would be defeated by the fact that they can't have access to the line of succession. I don't wish anything on Biden. Perhaps somebody could give me an estimate of what the high probability is that he is safe. Uh, that's all very good and well. But if somebody had assured me nothing was going to happen when they were counting the returns of the electors, I might have believed that. But now, all bets are off. There are forces inside the government, a cancer, that is compromising our ability to defend ourselves. There's an enemy within, and we have to guard against that enemy within. And if we don't know exactly who it is, or what they can do, or what they're planning to do, then we have to be defensive. On my walk and talks, I compared it to how we got advance warning of what would happen to the postal system, that the joy was compromising in such a way that all the votes might not be counted. Because we knew about it early enough, we could do something about it. And in part, that's why we won the election, because their dirty tricks didn't work. Well, now we're in a situation, maybe the stakes are higher. We're trying to preserve what the voters want. We're trying to protect it. We're trying to protect the people who are involved in our legislature. And the best way to do it is to be both prepared in terms of security and defensive. The notion of terrorism is to be asymmetric force. Wherever we are not prepared, that's where they attack. <clears throat> so let's make it difficult for them to attack by, by removing that weak part that they might assail. Thanks for listening. I hope you found this interesting. If you haven't subscribed, please do subscribe. And uh, we'll do this again next uh, Sunday. All the best. Bye-bye.